Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Till the End Podcast. Today's episode is going to be about space, space technology, and recent discoveries about life beyond the solar system. So, uh, the first article I got here is related to a, uh, the uh, closest black hole to our solar system. Mm-hmm. It uh, apparently is actually only a thousand light years away, which sounds like a lot, but you know, in, in space travel, a thousand light years is actually like fairly close. And um, that black hole, scientists uh, estimated that it's actually four times as massive as our sun. Are you talking about like dense wise or just yeah density mass? like yeah ma- mass wise it's yeah. dude four times as, as massive as the sun that's crazy I don't have a the exact like the size of it but I have the mass and it's it's pretty big like it could be a lot bigger but I mean you know and the crazy part is that um, our Milky Way. According to scientists, could have anywhere between a hundred million and a billion black holes. But not just that, all of those black holes, all apparently would have an estimated hundred times the mass of our sun. So I guess going back to the first statement, this one's pretty tiny compared to the other billion potential black holes in our galaxy. Yeah, so pretty much if we were to ever come across it, we'd have no chance of like surviving mm-hmm. or even coming close luckily it's doubtful that it'll any, get anywhere near us but still i mean it's it's pretty crazy oh definitely man and um the black hole that's closest to us that they've discovered uh they've called it uh hr 6819 and um it is showing that it has uh two companions mm. meaning two two things masses close to it and uh one of them is a star that it orbits every 40 days that is heavier and hotter than our sun and um another massive star that's orbiting the black hole Mm. and that star is rotating so fast around it that it's just breaking apart it's just breaking inside of this the black hole not even inside it yet, dude. It's just outside the thing and it's breaking apart. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, oh, shit. And also, uh, both of those stars also show about four times the solar mass of our sun. So the fact that that black hole is that powerful. And it's only four times the mass of our sun. Think about... So, so in, in this sense, wouldn't it be like... So black holes are only created by like stars closing in on itself yeah well not even either that or two dying or two stars colliding into each other yeah so So it's either a star dying and collapsing in on itself because they use um they burn hydrogen to stay i guess lit if you want to say and um as they use up more and more hydrogen it gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it can't get any smaller and then it just collapses in on itself you know yeah so in this sense it would in this solar system, it's three stars that were just coincidentally close to each other. Essentially. And then one of them decided to close in on itself like this, mm-hmm. and the other two are just, you know, passing by, just, you know, getting light and energy sucked out of it. Essentially, yeah. And um, that's all I have on, on that article, because after that, it's just a lot of talk of 
just random things that some other scientists have been talking about, but yeah, it's not stuff that has to do with really that. Yeah, definitely. In particular. So, like, so I've been finding articles about, um, like, spatial dimensions and other universes, in a sense. Like, NASA, like, everyone's heard that, like, NASA supposedly discovered a parallel universe, which is not true. Mm. What happened was... Unfortunately, yeah. Because can you imagine going to a parallel universe that goes backwards? That'd be insane. In a sense, like, how would that work for, you know, me going over there? Yeah, would you meet your older self? Or would That's you meet de-aging? your... Yeah, like, Benjamin Button style. Mm-hmm. But, um... Mm, that'd be weird, being born as an old person in another dimension. Yeah. You're risen from the grave and then instantly, like, put... Mm, no, I was thinking the opposite. I was thinking lady giving birth to an old man. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah. Like a little raisin of an old man. That's that's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but like, so we have different dimensions that we supposedly know of. Yeah. Like we have 1D, which is just one dimension. It's just a plane. Mm-hmm. You have 2D, which is just flat, and that's how it is. 3D, you're able to visually see it, and you, but you can't touch it. But then you go into something deeper, such as, you know... You know, the fourth dimension, the fifth dimension. There's also it, the time dimension. Well, the fourth dimension is time. Yes. I was going to say time dimension, but that, that one is time. Mm-hmm. So in the fourth dimension, it's mathematically proven that it's it's a higher... It's higher in, its, in a sense that, like... So think of it like this. Imagine, for an instance, that you're in the center of a hollow sphere the distance between you and every point on the surf sphere's surface is equal. Now try now try moving in a direction that allows you to move away from all the points on the sphere's surface while maintaining that equal distance. Mm. That's what the third to the fourth dimension is yeah. in a sense. That's weird. Now um on this article that I'm that I have, we know, like, we know the math, the mathematics for the fourth dimension, but supposedly dimensions go all the way up to, like, the tenth dimension, eleventh dimension. Yeah. And it just keeps on extending. Now, people are, like, going crazy and saying, like, there's, oh, there's, like, 26. It's not the case. Yeah, and... We've only discovered about... the weird thing is, for the fourth dimension, yes, we have the mathematics for it, but we can't really necessarily imagine it because think about like if you're a being on a two-dimensional plane mm-hmm. there's no way your brain can comprehend how a third dimension would work no yeah so we have the mathematics but we have no idea you know exactly how it would work yeah i mean obviously to me the way you explain it i'm going to imagine running on a you know walking on a ball that's constantly rotating as mm-hmm. i walk on think of it like the um like a like a human-sized hamster ball. Yeah. But you're suspended in the middle. Yeah, and it's constantly moving as you're moving, so you're not really technically moving, you know? But everything around you is. Yeah. And that's what the fourth dimension is supposed to be. Like, a really good example I can give you is the episode on Futurama where Dr. Dr. Farnsworth 
like is able to do dimensional drifts. Mm -hmm. Oh, and true. Then, that was cool. It, it was cool, and then he was able to go from the third dimension to the fourth dimension. And when he was going fast enough, he was able to go from the third dimension to the second dimension, mm -hmm. which is incredible. Well, he was going so fast to the point where if you go from the third dimension trying to jump from the fourth dimension and you suddenly stop, it pushes you back mm -hmm. to the second dimension and trying to find a way to get back into the third dimension because the second dimension is so linear, you can't go around anything, but you have to go over or under. Yeah. And that's how you're supposed to move mm -hmm. when it comes to the second dimension. Yeah. It's, it's pretty fucking gnarly. Now imagine we only know the third dimension. Like yeah. we, we live on the third dimension right now. Yeah. Everything is physical and tangible. But imagine the tenth dimension. But Whatever that would be. You can know? you even fathom what that is? Yeah. So in 1919, think about this: a hundred years ago, a Polish mathematician, Theodor Kaluza, proposed that the exist the existence of a fourth spatial dimension might allow the linking of general relativity and electromagnetic theory. Pretty much saying that, like, with with everything in re our reality and everything that we can see, there's probably something deeper and much more expansive than we can comprehend and see, which I think is pretty gnarly. Yeah. And it's a lot of stuff that we just won't be able to necessarily... I mean, normal people especially won't be able to, you know, imagine it in your head. Yeah. You kind of have to have, like, you know, your own... Narco or psychosis and narcosis mm -hmm. of to what that would be. Yeah. Like, you had to find that on your own trip. Yeah. Um, so, I want to get into a little bit of um, new space technology. Yeah. So, uh, there's a new uh, rover design that um, scientists are experimenting with right now mm -hmm. that rather than... Um, all of its wheels and the tracks only being able to go back and forth, but it can also uh, do a sweeping motion back and forth mm -hmm. and do a tumble in a way. And basically, it by utilizing that, it can it'll definitely be able to go where the older rovers won't be able to because uh, the last uh, Spirit rover uh, from 2009 that was on Mars got stuck in the sand because. Mm -hmm. You know, it can only go back and forth, and it's just essentially digging itself a hole. But this new wheel design that they're having, it would essentially be able to go up a slope like that mm -hmm. in the sand. And basically what they're saying is it could essentially sweep its wheels back and forth and tuck the sand under the middle of it and create its own flat spot and then move back up and continuously do that. And basically staircase with sand, soil, rocks, whatever, to go up any slope, which would be cool because there's a lot of the moon that we haven't even really, we've discovered a lot of it, but we haven't really like tested stuff from certain parts because the old rovers couldn't get to it. Well, you know? would this be for a lunar? Well, or would this be for Mars? Both. Okay. They're going to send it to both as soon as they can. Okay. Now, obviously they're going to send it to the moon first because that's the quickest thing we can do. It's, you know, the closest thing to us. But 
And they're planning on sending it to, you know, other planets, depending on how, you know, Mars and the moon go with it. But I think it's a really dope technology, and I think it's really smart that they've discovered this. And, um... If we had a website yet, I would definitely, like, I would link this article because there's a video that shows how it works, and it's really, really cool. And it's honestly, it's not simple. I won't say it's simple, but if you think about it, it's a very good design, considering yeah. how easy it was to manipulate how the wheels, mm -hmm. you know. It, like, in a sense, it, it is very simple, but at the same time, it's, like, a huge push as to, like, how we will... Um, in the future, get into space yeah. flight. And they're calling it Wiggly Wheels, which is kind of funny of NASA, because NASA just doesn't really, you know, they don't care anymore. Yeah, of course they don't. Um, so, like, I have an article that's similar to yours about, like, future technology, but mine's more of um, spacecraft and, uh, you know, rocket ships. So one of them is called the Light Sail. And I was actually, I was watching a documentary on this, I could think a couple of weeks ago. And so we're sending out, like supposedly soon, we're supposed to be sending out a bunch of um, like satellites and cameras in order to take better pictures. And isn't the light sail the one that's supposed to be able to travel farther distances because it's utilizing, um, isn't it just a bunch of, like, mirrors, in a sense, that it's able to use, um, energy from, like, stars mm -hmm. and just keep pretty going? much, pretty much is just using solar energy to just keep going further and further, but at the same time, there's supposed to be, uh, either it's this one or it's another one that's supposed to have a camera kind of like close to it or attached to it mm -hmm. to take better pictures. Not only will the light sail absorb the, the light, but at the same time it will reflect it off to take better pictures of like planets, oh, true. asteroids, and a bunch of other, um, you know, satellites going across the, the universe. Now, is it, is this, is it gonna be able to go faster? Than crafts we have now, or is it just going to be able to just go farther distances? Just farther distances. Okay. So I was going to say, if they if they were able to make it go faster, that'd be really awesome because then we can travel farther distances and be able to see things quicker than we see them now by well, sending probes. Well, a better a better thing for that would probably be having a spacecraft that's able to go. Not, I think for me. So for me, I think a better theory, um, a better spacecraft would be not going faster, but being able to last longer and take better information and yeah. send it quicker yeah. than what we do now. I'm only thinking like far, far future, like whenever we're ready to go to another planet that we've discovered and we know is habitable. Mm -hmm. Just because if you think about it, it'd be like in the sense that... Uh, that Jennifer Lawrence movie. I forget the movie that she was in. But, um... The one with Chris Pratt. So, oh, that one, yeah. Yeah, where they're essentially put in pods mm -hmm. and, you know, just put in a cryosleep. But, in a way, sometimes, if you want to keep, you know, keep a live crew going, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to have to keep reproducing 
And unless we make a spacecraft utilize that technology and be able to go fast, we're going to have to have a ship with a ton of people on it just to make sure that at least the we have a crew able to, you know, withstand that whole journey, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, um, I agree. I mean, that won't happen until, like, you know, hundreds of years yeah. in the future. Yeah. But um, I do believe that in the near future, because this is supposed to be, this was supposed to set sail two years ago, at least the first one did, and then the second one is coming out soon. Oh, so they've already sent one. Yeah, they already sent a light sail out. Um, but uh, it's it's reaching roughly, like, so Stephen Hawking voiced his own desire to launch a light sail called the Breakthrough Starshot. Mm-hmm. And Hawking described it as a small space probe travel on a beam of light reaching roughly 160 kilometers an hour, or 100 million miles per hour. But that... The, the funding for that and, you know, trying to get everything down is really difficult. I did read about that. So it, that one that he's talking about would definitely be able to go very fast because essentially what they were talking about with that back in the day was um, shooting essentially a laser beam mm-hmm. into space. Yeah. And, you know, a laser beam can go as far as it needs as, to. As far as it needs to, essentially. So... That would be really cool, but we would need definitely a huge laser to do any big projects. Yeah. But, um, honestly, like, space travel with these supposed near-future spacecrafts would probably be a lot... It's very, very detrimental to space travel, because if we are able to find a way to have something at least float through space and still give us information then at least one day relatively soon we'll be able to get into you know space travel and have you know or find other places yeah you know what would be cool too if this is just something I just thought about like say we were able to send a craft like the size of like the Mars rover for example with a light sail to a distant planet that we were fairly sure was able to have habitable life. Imagine it the rover arriving there with the light sail, collecting data on the physical planet like the rovers do, and then being able to propel itself back into space and use the light sail to get back. And then we get to physically have specimens from that planet. Yeah, definitely. That would be really cool. Um, that would be more of like a um kind of like an umbrella type thing. Yeah. But like a propulsion umbrella. Yeah. Which would be pretty which would be really great because yeah. we do have the technology to at least make um sails like that. And, and we definitely have the technology to send a craft onto a planet and back up. Definitely. But the thing is, it's like it all determines on like how long it has to stay there for, yeah, and how the distance is. Maybe. Well, and that's the cool thing about like using the light sail is that the rover itself wouldn't have to even turn on until it touches ground on that planet. Yeah, you know, and the light sail is infinite power essentially. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that'd be kind of cool. So like, um, 
So another one is that like the future of spacecraft, as we're getting into that, as we're into that topic right now, and I think a great way to do it is, you know, having us <clears throat> human beings have set a try to set kind of like a a base on you know on the moon at least because the moon is closer the moon is farther out than earth is yeah. and it'll be a lot easier to launch things out from space from there yeah and then we'll still be able to receive the information you know back in the 60s we did a moon mission it took them what it was like how long they were gone for like a few years they're gone for like a month or so oh. um and the entire time they're freaking out because communication is getting off track they don't know what's going on but nowadays with the technology we have with the international space station we get clear images we get clear video yeah. of what life is like over there yeah we can transmit signals over there pretty instantly exactly so I think what we should do is we should try to set up a base on the moon. Oh, true, and just get cut out the middleman of the space station. Not even just that. Have it relay off the space station or on another satellite close to Earth, mm. and, on, and then you get it onto Earth. Okay. But at the same time, try to have, mission, have lunar missions to go to other places yeah. instead of Earth. See the light sail. The light sail would be a really good thing to utilize to get started on a on a lunar base, if anything, because you could use the light sails to bring most of the heavy stuff and you know all the materials that you would need to build the lunar base, and then mm -hmm. you just have to send people over in a ship after that. Exactly. You know, like the like the the atmosphere for the moon is so much different than Earth, and it's not. And the gravity for the moon is so much less. It would be a lot. It would be difficult in a sense for to build a base. But as soon as the base is built yeah. and we're able to launch missions, it would be ten times easier yeah. because we don't have to deal with the gravity that we have. We don't have to deal with, you know, all the debris that's in the Earth's atmosphere. Yeah. And it would just be, if, if I'm thinking the way. It would be. It would be a lot easier. Yeah. Because I mean, getting a lunar base set up, especially if there's any way we can make it easier, is the first big step to getting interstellar travel. Mm -hmm. You know, interplanetary travel even. Because as soon as we have a base there, and we can send the materials to build a ship on the moon, then we can go right to the right to Mars. After we that, go to Mars. And we can just Saturn. We can and go just planet hopping essentially. Yeah. In a sense, this is what space colonization is yeah but you know this is something that needs to be done if we want to you know get further into it yeah so as as we like go further into space travel what else have you found that you know piqued your interest so there's an article by a, a lady called Lisa Grossman mm -hmm. and um She's basically talking about scientists have discovered that uh, microbes can live and grow in an atmosphere made of pure hydrogen, like nothing else, just pure hydrogen. And that experiment is essentially giving us more 
a bigger range of environments that we can try and find alien life on with other planets. Because if microbes can survive in pure hydrogen, then that definitely means, obviously, alien life could, and things could grow there. Mm-hmm. And that just increases the chance, you know? And um, the these researchers, they had a... Uh, they put air into six bottles and replaced the air with pure hydrogen in one of them, another one with pure helium, and then another one with 80% nitrogen and 20% carbon dioxide, and then the final bottle was earth air. Yeah. And in every single bottle, the microbes all survived, mm. and they even were multiplying in each bottle so that kind of stuff just it's it's widening the view and the horizon of what we need to look for rather than just finding a specific type of planet because now we have multiple different types of atmospheres that we can look for in different environments you know no definitely so it's kind of interesting and um they even said that um they had put E. coli into them too just to see what would happen and the E. coli itself, which E. coli, if E. coli can reproduce, that means that there is potential for human organisms mm-hmm. to produce, and or human-like organisms to produce. Yeah. And they're saying that um, by doing that and seeing that um, E. coli and these microorganisms and stuff can survive in these atmospheres... We can now look for, for example, a hydrogen-rich atmosphere that uh, the way they look for them is through um, these special uh, telescopes that set off or that can see with infrared, I think it is, the uh, the gases that these planets emit through their atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And different gases obviously show off a different... uh, Colors, wavelengths. Yeah, stuff like that. And... Basically, hydrogen, I guess, is an easy one for them to see. And now that they know that they just have to look for that type of atmosphere and there's potential, they just have to, you know, search for that now. No, definitely. Um, I think that's a great thing that we're discovering, too, because, you know, as, as this planet is, you know, degrading slowly and surely... Faster... Everything. Yeah, within the past hundred years, it's gotten a hell of a lot worse than ever in human history. The discovery of like new, new planets that are that could like supposedly have life or that could sustain life is great for us. But um, I know a couple of years ago, on um, on this article that I'm reading right now. A few years ago, we have actually dis- we sent out a satellite, um, or the NASA roadmap will continue to launch the TESS, which is a tran- transiting exoplanet surveying satellite, or what it's called is the James Webb Space Telescope. Um, they uh, they're using infrared to check out and look at all these other planets that supposedly could have life or sustain life 
at least to some capacity till either we can travel over there or till we can like reconfigure the atmosphere to at least for us to live on yeah have a certain amount of people yeah so I have another article here mm -hmm. this is just more of a a prediction style article that a, uh, a science fiction writer named uh, Christopher Wanchik wrote and um Basically, what he's talking about is he's figured out that uh, China, for one, is preparing to send crewed p missions to the moon at least by sometime in the 2030s, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. And then uh, also, as most of us already know, Elon also hopes to get people to, uh, to Mars in the next 10 to 15 years, is what he's saying. But um, basically, what this uh, Christopher guy is saying that Initially, uh, he's saying a two-week trip to the moon would be much like an African safari was 150 years ago. It would be for the rich and wealthy that just want to get, you know, a feel for a little bit of danger, mm. essentially, you know. And then um, after that, Mars would be essentially utilized for self-sufficient colonies for, you know, serving as, like, pit stops between Earth and, like, other mineable asteroids where we can get resources from or as you know just a regular just a pit stop for spaceships to get to the outer parts of the solar system yeah and he's saying that he expects a permanent human presence on mars by the 20 by the early 2050s and visiting jupiter's moons not just jupiter because jupiter's just gas but jupiter's moons by around 2100 so he's saying but by in the next 80 or so years he expects us to at least getting started inhabiting Jupiter's moons, which is kind of crazy. But he's saying that there's definitely one drawback that I don't think a lot of people really think about as far as space travel goes. And he says that essentially weightlessness and microgravity sucks because, you know, your bone and muscle density decrease and they you know you get weaker mm -hmm. because less gravity you're not having to utilize your muscles and your bones to yeah, keep that's why people in ISS work out well that's what he's so another thing that he's saying is that he thinks the international the ISS like their recommended diet and exercise regimen mm -hmm. is is BS yeah it is because the thing is is that in the in the space there's no gravity there's nothing to hold you down yeah and the iss is artificial gravity it's not a hundred percent of what we have here so you know? the way they have the way they have to do it is they have to work out every day for hours on end while they continue to work yeah they're working out the thing is like they're working mo out more than like bodybuilders and like athletes do yeah just to keep but, themselves the same yeah to keep themselves the same but not better themselves mm -hmm. which is a lot harder to do that means they would have to constantly yeah and at that point pushing themselves yeah and at that point there's going to be no time for work there's going to be no time for you know doing you know research and um one other thing that he threw in here just to be funny i guess a little bit mm -hmm. is um with uh colonizing mars he just says uh while we start when we start growing light sensitive crops on the ground how are we supposed to keep restocking LED bulbs because we would essentially have to restock bulbs 
quite a lot. We would have to have missions just for restocking bulbs. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, other than that, it, we definitely would need to, outside of exercise, if I want to get like technical, we would definitely need to figure out some kind of, you know, artificial food supplement that can definitely at least keep not only our mass, but our bone and muscle density the same without having to do as much exercise. You know, and we would have to have a nutrient, like a really, really nutrient rich, artificially produced food. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be an artificially produced food. It could be like a, a GMO in a sense to help. Well, it's, so we, it, in my opinion, it would have to be something artificially produced just because we can't, you know, most of the food that we send there is super, super, super freeze-dried and condensed. Yeah. Just because there are certain foods, like if you wanted to freeze-dry a, freeze a burger, for example, once you rehydrate it, it's not the same thing. You know, it loses nutrients. It loses some of the, the good it's, stuff. It's the, it's the exact same thing as if you, like, microwave your food. Mm -hmm. You're losing but, some of those nutrients. Yeah, so the thing is, like, you would have to have a genetically modified food that's super enriched, that's already, that, all right, so an avocado, in a sense, super enriched, tastes pretty great to most people. Some people don't like it. Um, but the thing is with, uh, with avocados is, like, for us to, if we want to send an avocado out there, we have, we would have to make it we would have to enhance its genetics in order for it to be better yeah. in every kind of way without it being, you know, unhealthy. Well, and we would also, outside of altering stuff like that and making it able to survive space travel, we would also have to modify them, for example, in order to be grown with less light, mm -hmm. you know, essentially just so we could reduce yeah, the like, amount of stuff. Like hydroponic foods. Well, not a, yeah, essentially that, just because you know, like uh, he was saying in his article before about the LED bulbs, that would be time-consuming. It would cost money. You know, those bulbs would cost probably thousands of dollars per bulb just because of the cost of sending. No, definitely. And if we can cut down those costs, that would mean we could send more food, and we could grow more food, and it would just make things you know, yeah, a lot better. Definitely. Um. So, like, when we're talking about space travel and the food and everything like that, the, um, like, with that in mind, um, there's also life, on, life outside of the universe. So, if we ever want to, like, actually live to see the, live and tell the tale that we saw life, we would have to try to find a way to make great foods. And if we do ever find life we would have to ask them like hey like especially if it's intelligent life like like fucking solar opposites on hulu or rick and morty yeah like what's the best way to like have well space travel and food and sustenance well as far as the food and stuff goes who's to say that their food would even be compatible with i'm not i wasn't foods. saying for like we eat their food. Oh, I'm okay. saying like they give give us information okay. Okay. on that. Yeah. So like with that being said, like 
there's definitely more intelligent life than us. Oh, for sure. Either like, in, there's there's no way that there's none. Yeah. Either in this universe or in the next. But we just gotta find like the closest thing that's intelligent. Trade ideas as much as we possibly can, or learn from them, and then like we develop it in our own way. Yeah. And like honestly, the thought of having you know, um, life outside of Earth is terrifying, but in a good way. Yeah. Because, I mean, in my opinion, I don't think, I highly doubt it's going to be, like, a Star Wars situation where Mm -mm. life outside of Earth is going to be, like, we're going to kill you just because you're different. Like, I I highly doubt that because I really feel like if, especially if they're a more intelligent race than we are, as human beings at least. Yeah. I definitely think they would be seeking the same thing we are, and it's information. Not you know, it's, it's information on how to extend, you know, life. It's how to keep surviving and, yeah. you know, like, do interplanetary travel. Yeah, they probably want to learn about our culture. Mm-hmm. We probably want to learn about theirs and the way they do things and yeah. all, everything like that. And I think it's really cool that there's just this void that we don't know that there is life on Earth, or life outside of Earth, and it's interesting to even have that thought in your head that there is something out there that we don't even know what it could be. Yeah. I definitely want a fucking alien chick if I get the <laughs> Had to throw that one in there. Yo, man, we have to. Like, think about it. Rick and Morty... Chick with three titties? Come on. Are you really thinking... Bro. Alright, side thing. Rick and Morty didn't start that one. I, I know. It was Total Recall there that you started go. that shit. There you but go. think about it. Giant <laughs> Amazonian chick... Giant alien Amazonian chick that has three titties. That'd be, that'd be weird for me. She could have two pussies if she wanted to. It, that could be a thing. That'd be kind of weird. I wouldn't no. be down for that. I would. I, uh definitely be weird for me bro nah I couldn't picture that I'm a weirdo dude I I, I'm about that but um yeah alien life I do believe that it is out there I do believe that they have some sort of idea that we're here they just want us to discover it yeah. or maybe they haven't even discovered us yet and we're out there and we're here looking for them yeah or maybe they already found us, and they just thought we were stupid. Yeah, and they just don't want to fuck with us. <laughs> like, yo, look at these Neanderthals over here. Still cavemen. <laughs> like, oh yeah, you're just now starting to get You just up. got to your moon? Are you kidding? But we did that within the first hundred years. For real. Oh, oh man. Alright, so I think uh, that last comment is gonna wrap up uh, episode two. Alien titties. <laughs> just... Wish we would have explained in the beginning it was going to get a little graphic, but from now on, just know most of our podcasts at some point will get a little graphic. Always. Just, just how it's going to be. But uh, thanks for listening. Uh, keep in touch. We'll see you in the next one. Like, share, comment, tell your friends, give us criticism, tell us that you fucking hate us if you want <laughs> to. Just We just need the feedback. Yeah. We'd like to hear feedback. We'll Thank keep, you guys. Keep getting it. Till the end.